Welcome to a new instalment of the Pharma Forum podcast. Here I speak with Gavin Anderson about a wide range of healthcare topics, all immersed in the central theme of AI and robotics. With his hat of the Academy of Robotics firmly on, we discuss Healthybot penguins. We also discuss $30 personal health wristwatches to monitor our simple vital signs and the conversation endeavours to explain why robotics, why AI should not be feared, but embraced to return time to human beings. So we can do the jobs that we occasionally and most often within the healthcare setting were highly trained to do can avoid the overwork that comes from an overburdened system and can shift the mundane minutia to inanimate objects which can provide support and even joy. Indeed, AI and robotics and the development of them can remind humans that nature has pretty much done it all before, but with evolution and extinction, and it might indeed be timely at this current environmental crisis moment in the history of the planet, to remember that The onus is on us to open our eyes, to listen and to learn and to develop a new way for the future. I have no doubt that this episode has a little something for everyone. Thank you for listening. This is web editor Nicole Raleigh, and today I have with me Gavin Anderson, who is from the Academy of Robotics, but wears many more hats as well. So before we go on, in fact, today I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Gavin, so I don't get anything wrong. Thank you. Yes, I, I, I guess, trained as a human-centric uh, uh, designer. I have historically, I helped businesses align their strategy, purpose, and culture. I, I started in the world of, well, actually, to be honest, I started in the world of electronics when I was eight years old. I'm 57 now. I built my That's first true. telephone bugging device out of some copper wire and a magnet, because it fascinated me. I've been through, I was in the APRA, which APRA, which was the thing that existed before Windows. So yeah, I, 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 I'm a, a serial one in the world of technology. Uh, I guess today I have a slightly odd portfolio of, um, obviously I work for the Academy of Robotics and head up their human-centric design and how robots and technology inter- interacts with human beings. Um, I'm also CEO of a large-scale nature-based carbon removal company trying to save the planet and also have a a streaming company that is predominantly staffed with uh, people with neurodiversities. So that's kind of the the odd but happy life that I lead. Gosh, wow. Um, Exciting life as well. So thank you for that. Now, let's focus because, okay, let's focus on one area of what you cover in your day-to-day life. So I became aware of the work that you do at Anthropy 23, which took place at the Eden Project in Cornwall. And there you very firmly had your Academy of Robotics hat on when you took part in the panel, The Future of Our Health Needs, which was put together by the Adelphi Group. So you mentioned in that panel about AI and robotics. And these, for listeners, in case it wasn't clear, our central themes in today's episode are AI and robotics in the healthcare setting. Gavin, you mentioned on the panel that these should be invisible and only employed when needed. So I was wondering, to kick things off, if you could expand on what this invisibility and use only when necessary might mean in the healthcare setting. Certainly. 
Um, I think I, I should start by saying that, you know, at the Academy of Robotics, we will never build a robot with arms and legs and a face because we think humans are actually very good. So our robotics and technology enhances humans. So, um, and I'm not talking about exoskeletons and things like that. So at a very <laughs> simple level, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go into the technology in a bit, but just for context, what we do, our latest pilot, we have a five foot um, robotic penguin called Milton. And Milton goes on his uh, most recent pilot, goes from the pharmacy to the cancer ward delivering drugs, a lift and shift, very simple thing. What that does is that actually saves hours, minutes of professional nursing staff having to go and pick up drugs at last minute or more urgent drugs. What it also does, Paul Milton's trundling down the corridor quite happily carrying his package, he can scan the floor and he can report a loose tile to maintenance. He can see an open window, report that to his states because he's losing heat. If he's working at three o'clock in the morning, he can take a picture of somebody that walks past in the corridor and send that to security. He can also talk 127 different languages. So at a base level, and we call them helper bots rather than robots. Robot mm -hmm. is, I think, originally comes from, it's either Polish or Romanian and means um, a metal object under delivering the will of man okay. you know, which, which that that's not how we see robotics we see robotics helping humans so for example you know a use case you know one of the use cases we're looking at for milton was lunches so if a patient is in hospital and they're not in their bed they're off getting a treatment or a scan at lunchtime that the person then comes back onto the ward a caring professional decides what that person needs to eat even if they have come back at two o'clock so that caring professional organizes you know food for that person because they're in hospital they need fed well nutrition etc so we, we 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 have nurses organizing burgers yeah you know, that a, a robot could deliver that you know we have nurses walking to pick up the drugs we have a robot that could do that we have we nurses lose time when they have a patient that uh, they need translation services you know any healthcare professionals will start nodding at this point you go and get the trolley with the phone on it and you drag it over to the side of the bed and then you plug it in and then you give one phone to the patient and then you speak to the translator and make sure that they're speaking the right language for the for the patient and then just imagine actually having a robot there that actually can pick up that this person is speaking romanian swahili whatever it may be mm -hmm. and enable that prof healthcare professional to engage quicker so the theme the theme for us is saving those little bits of minutes and moments for healthcare professionals so healthcare professionals can do their jobs or have more time to do their professional jobs, or even actually, dare I say, leave on time so we don't overwork them. So our view of robotics, and that's why we use the term helper bots, there, there, there's, there's two, I guess, two big areas of robotics within um, healthcare. There's obviously things like the remote uh, surgery, and you know, we, we, we don't go into the medical area because that, that's a skilled specialist area. Mm -hmm. you know, we are in the... Because if you can help those micro moments, you know, if we can save seven minutes per nurse, per shift, per day, that's that's years being given back to professionals to deliver mm -hmm. the care. So, so you can see how we how we kind of approach robotics. We 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 have challenges because you know, I guess robotics and AI is moving at such a pace, and we need correct regulation and safety. But as you well know, and everybody listens to the podcast with the you know, the healthcare industry, for good reason, you know, doesn't move sometimes at the breakneck speed to embrace new technologies. 
And one of the small example, you know, is, you know, as I was saying about the pilot with the, the drugs, you know, the, the regulations, there are three regulations for controlled drugs, as you may or may not know, has to be within a steel box. Yep, we can do that with a robot. You know, has to be, uh, be able to be attacked with, I think it's an eight inch knife and stabbed violently 10 times. Yep, we can do that. Has to be able to be attacked by a blowtorch for 30 seconds. Yep, we can do that. So this is how you keep controlled high-end drugs. And then the final thing is it has to be bolted to the ground, which kind of defeats the purpose of having a robot delivering the drugs. So my challenge to the, the regulations is you can have a nurse can walk to the pharmacy, pick up controlled drugs and walk back to the ward. But we can't, at the moment, the legislation doesn't actually allow us to use a secure robot to go to the pharmacy and deliver the drugs and a robot that has an alarm. So I, those are just some of the challenges we're coming through. So the great thing about robotics in healthcare is, you know, we, we can help with all these things. We can move things forward. But there, I think where we sit at the moment, and quite rightly so, you know, th there's a lot of peering over the fence at from the healthcare professionals to robotics and AI. And there's, there's a quite rightfully a, a nervousness about it, which I fully accept. So mm. hopefully that kind of gives you a framing of kind of where we are with our robotics. It does. There's a lot to unpack there, actually. Um, so, wow, is that the actual testing route for a robot to be stabbed and a blowtorch? Well, those, 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 those are actually the drug regulations for storage of drugs. Because oh, you're doing a comparison. So I was envisaging of... Milton at that point, undergoing all those poor tests, Gavin. No, <laughs> or, no I, I see your point there. Yes, it's incredibly difficult the pathway for drugs. But if we focus on not just Milton, but potentially the future of robots, what they can bring to the healthcare setting, as you've been saying, this technology, it uh, permits time again, real time for professionals to be the skilled human beings that they are. But I also want to think also of the potential, you've mentioned linguistics and the word robota or robota, I think, is Russian for work even. But if we think about the linguistics with the bedside manner of these robots, could they do more? You, you've mentioned the delivery of drugs, etc. But mm. even on that uh, language level, there's a comfort there, isn't there, potentially oh. for a child about to undergo surgery? I know we can't sort of segue into the skill set of the surgery itself, but what could they offer there? Because we talk about you know, because one, one, one of the final workshops I ran at Antropy, you know, we were actually talking about, yes, how robots can help, but also how robots can bring joy and happiness. Because, and, and we get into a really interesting space here, because some of your listeners will be aware that in Japan, there's been some experiments with um, robots that have uh, screens for heads, as the ones with a better description, and they actually have human projections on there. So there's a human at the other end, because in for, for the Japanese, they've identified that you know, the micro movements of our eyes, our inflictions of our face, etc., are things that that's the second, third, fourth levels of communicate of nonverbal communication. Um, we've very actively gone away from that because we don't think we can compete. Mm. But you know, in you know, on the on the subject of happiness, I mean, yes, the 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 the, the, the linguistic thing is not to be underestimated because you know, I, it was one of the things that really touched me personally because i'm running all these workshops and i'm really enjoying learning and somebody put it to a scenario that you know somebody has a car accident and they wake up in hospital and they can't speak the language and nobody can speak to them 
And I was thinking how terrifying that would be to be in a foreign country and actually waking up and nobody being able to help me or people trying to help me while I'm in pain or in discomfort, but the language being the barrier. So I think the linguistic thing is a large, large part of it. But I think the on the happiness and the joy or lack of fear, I think, because we have to accept that, you know, being in hospitals, it's not fearful because of the environment and the wonderful people that are there. It's fearful because of the reason that you're actually in hospital normally, you know, you, you have an illnesses. So for things like with children, because, you know, our robots are inanimate objects. I love them dearly, but they are still inanimate <laughs> objects. We can, you know, flash them with high power LEDs to disinfect them. So why would that be a benefit? So you could actually disinfect a robot. You could flash disinfect a robot. So that robot could stay with the child bedside, engage with the child, talk with the child, and actually go into surgery with the child, stay with the child. And when the child wakes up, the first thing they see, and some people might think this is odd, the first thing they see is a robotic penguin. But if it's <laughs> the penguin that they were having a conversation with two hours ago, you know, it's their immediate. And if that penguin can then enable an audio call to the parents the moment that child wakes up, that's all well-being. And there'll be healthcare professionals that will be nodding here because you know the, the physicality of healthcare is that we our professionals can't be everywhere all the time. So any and, and we never think of this as replacing you know, replacement, which is why we use the term helper, but help is mm -hmm. not replacing because the hospital have to remain nameless, protect the innocent. But, you know, one of the first workshops I did, the CEO said, right, don't give it a name, you know, don't make it human. People are worried about their jobs. And then within about two weeks, the robot was named, he had his own um, staff past lanyard and staff said, no, no, it's a member of staff. It's not a really? thing, you know, because in the projections that we were doing, the staff at the hospital would actually end up, the hospital would end up recruiting more people because a robot could work 24 hours a day. So you need people to load them up and continue their journeys at night. And that efficiency, the impacts on the cleaning, the security, the, you know, the logistics, the deliveries, all those things kind of brought together, you know, allow, it kind of comes back to the same thing of allowing humans to do more time. Mm -hmm. so, or, but I think the, the softer areas, because we, we, we talked within the user groups, we didn't actually, um, we haven't tested this yet, but we were talking about the user groups, because I, I've talked to lots of different wards. And, you know, Milton may play, you know, he may go into some, you know, 50s music, you know, when he goes on to the Alzheimer's ward. He may mm -hmm. go in, in silence. If that's if that's what the person in charge of the ward wants, you know, he may come in silence. But he also actually may come in on the child's ward, spinning with his lights going, say, hey, hey, Milton's here you know, and tell some jokes. So all the way from, you know, some a patient that's saying, I, I can't get out of bed, I'd like to phone my sister, from that emotional connection, all the way to just not being lonely, and also fun and joy. Tell me a joke, sing me a song. You know, so the nice thing about robotics, when you lean into that human joy, happiness, robotics can actually, all it is doing is feeding a culture that we enjoy anyway, songs, music, art, you know, companionship, um, humor. So yes, I think there's, there's, there's a role to play, but again, it's not a replacement role. You know, it, it's to fill those gaps. I, I randomly was in the hospital as a child, you know, and I remember it, the times when nobody was there. I remember you know, when mom and dad couldn't visit me all the time, because, you know, uh, and my auntie could be, you know, so I remember those periods of time, specifically in the mornings, actually, after breakfast and before lunch, 
where you're just, as a kid, you're just lying in a bed, reading a book or just playing with a couple of toys that you've been given that's in your side cabinet because everybody else is rushing around. And yes, the nurses smile at you. And yes, people interact with you, but they don't have time to fill Mm -hmm. a child's imagination when a child is sitting there feeling a bit lost and a bit scared. Yeah. So, so for me, the, 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 yes, the lift and shift and the security and all those those wonderful things, but we can't actually miss out on this journey of how we can support comfort and joy. And we've been talking certainly on the AI side of it, of how, you know, robotics could help in diagnostics, diagnostics, you know, within wellbeing. And I know that, that, again, very contentious. We're not trying to replace people, but the amount of people that need assessed, the amount of people that need engagement or support. I mean, could you prescribe, you know, let, let's spin five, 10 years in the future, you know, maybe 15 years in the future. You know, could you prescribe a joy robot? You take this thing home and it just talks to you. you know? and, 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 and for an elderly person, it's more than happy to hear those stories for the fourth or the fifth time. And it can mm. offer those stories. It can trigger those stories. It can know that Mavis loves speaking about the, you know, the time of you know, rationing in the war when she first met her husband and went dancing. And that robot can talk about that every morning for every day of the year, if that's what Mavis wants to talk about. So, it's, so for me, and as you can tell, I'm quite passionate about robotics and AI, because I do believe it's got something to bring to the party. Yes, we've got, to my point earlier, we've got lots of legislation that we need to realign and safety is a really important thing. But, I, but you know, I, I, I want a doctor to be picking up the prescription pad, but I'm very happy for you know, a robot to be giving me a cup of tea or, or having a chat with me or keeping me amused. Or, or even you know, some of the use cases we looked at were just practical things like a wheelchair user that comes to a hospital has to book a wheelchair because they can't take their own wheelchair into the hospital. So they have to stay in the car park till somebody brings a wheelchair to them in the car park. Mm-hmm. Well, why couldn't a robot do that? Yeah, why can a robot bring a wheelchair? Because they're a wheelchair user. They know actually they, they, they don't need to be taught how to use a wheelchair. They just need a wheelchair. They just physically need one. So there's lots of pieces that I think we, where we can release and enhance. And it, and it goes, then it goes back to, you know, why have you got a five foot green penguin? Because actually it kind of brings a bit of joy. And it was, very, it was, it was designed specifically to be friendly enough that it wouldn't scare children, but large enough that they wouldn't hug it. Because uh-huh. if you're a five-year-old, seeing a five-foot green penguin coming towards you is very cool, but you're probably not going to go and hug something two and a half times the size of you because you'll be a bit wary on it. Mm. So, so the, That's the, interesting. The joy and the happiness is built in or not built in. We look at that as we design and, and, and kind of roll out these tools. It's part of your thought process. Ooh. Gosh, again, a lot to unpack there. So I want to think about this um, retaining the human element in everything. Obviously, the sort of human in the loop concept is something that we discuss a lot with AI, um, particularly in discussions of AI and pharma and healthcare going forward. So is this something, and I assume it is, as crucial to think about when it comes to the design of the robots themselves? Oh, massively, massively. Because you know we we have another product that you may or may not have seen when when you were at Entropy, a large green egg that has four wheels on it. It was down by the, the, the what we have. If you look How up did I miss web, that? <laughs> I know you, we we have this green egg. It, it's a last mile delivery robot. So the idea is it's to replace 
diesel vans that are half empty that come and deliver your Amazon parcel. So why not have an electric vehicle that's completely full, that's autonomous, that texts you, that asks if you're home and can work out its own routes. And it's small enough that it can use bridleways and cycle routes, but big enough that it can sit in a, a dual carriageway. So you talk about design considerations. Nature gives us the answer for everything because um, cargo, which is the name of our autonomous vehicle, is in the shape of an egg. And somebody said, well, wh why did you make it an egg? And I said, well, you do know if you put an egg upright, you can stand on it. Like nature sorted the structural integrity. So we put an egg on its side and put four wheels on it, which means it's a complete exoskeleton. You don't need any internal structures. You know? so, so we do lean into nature a massive amount in the design because we do believe, yes, whilst we, 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 we live on a crazy XREF bunkered base in Norfolk and you know, in, have, have you know, uh, robots wandering around, it all comes down to that kind of nature has probably given us the answer first time round. And it seems quite odd that a high-tech robotics company is talking about, you know, leaning into nature, but it's about not relearning. Nature brings us things like a penguin. You know, a penguin, you know, if, if you were to analyze what a penguin is, it's a carrying vessel that has a very low center of gravity. It's quite difficult to knock over, um, has a large carrying capacity, big belly, um, and no outward-facing items that can catch. Nature kind of designed that because... What a penguin does, not, not drifting into nature, but what a penguin does is, you know, once the chick is born, they then head off for six months and fill their belly full of food. So they large capacity. They then have to go through treacherous conditions that they can't fall over. So again, comes back to the center of gravity and their storage. So, you know, a low center of gravity, something that doesn't fall over, that can have large storage. Nature did it already. It's called the penguin. Yeah, so we, we, we're, we're very much not of the make things in well two two points i think we not to be made in the image of man but we also believe that you know nature has probably solved most of our problems already it's just we haven't actually looked close enough so we we do have this you know uh, uh blend of um looking very closely at nature and organics and human engagement and then the AI and the robotics are the tools of how we can bring that to life. Because it would be really nice to genetically breed five foot penguins that had little backpacks <laughs> walked around hospitals, but it's probably not practical. But okay. we can take the learning of you know nature and you know one of the other prototypes, which I'm I, I'm not sure. And William, you know, William's touch your founder, who, who's a wonderful, crazy visionary, and I mean crazy in a very loving way. You know, you say, right, the next one's going to be the dodo. I say, well, that's really nice. And I kind of get the shape, et cetera. But yeah, the dodo went extinct. And I'm not sure how humans are going to think about something that doesn't exist anymore. But but you can see the practicality of that. If you need, you know, a lower, heavy uh, weight carrying, you know, device, why couldn't it? Because the dodo's, you know, short mm -hmm. and quite wide, you know, and apparently, they, allegedly, they used to be quite tasty, but we'll never know that now. <laughs> Well, moving on from the tastiness or otherwise of a dodo, taking this concept of learning from nature, what you also mentioned to Anthropy on the panel dedicated to um, future thinking about human health, you mentioned that actual healthcare, otherwise known these days as self-care, that needs a bigger voice. It needs a bigger voice than, and I quote you, biscuits, crisps, and fashion brands. So perhaps we could expand on that. Is there 
a means by which AI and robotics can help with this empowerment of humans to re-engage them with the natural way of things, the self-care way of things, rather than getting to the point where we need uh, healthcare as sick care, but have self-care as preventative healthcare. I think a huge subject. The, the, the short answer is, you know, yes, I, 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 I think it can, because we, we have enough outboard sensors. So I'm talking about um, what people might know as, you know, IoT, you know, Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, 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 I'm a 57 year old bloke. And, you know, when I when I think my health isn't good, I, I put on my you know, $30 Chinese watch and it, you know, it monitors yeah, and I monitor myself for a few days and I think, okay, yeah, um, that's fine. Nothing to worry about there. But, you know, my mother-in-law, who, who has no interest in technology at all whatsoever and won't do technology, she's 85, you know, you know, and she wants to live on her own, which is fine. And it's a bungalow. So it's all, so all tick, tick, tick. But there's still a risk. So the technology that keeps her moving is a simple gray band. That's it. She just wears a gray band, doesn't have to do anything about it. And if it vibrates, she has to push it. That's it. But what that allows us to do is proactively check that Rita's up and about. Because if she can't push it when it vibrates, we know that might be something wrong. Or if you get a signal that the person has fallen over or been inactive for a certain amount of time. So the technology can, I guess, be used in two ways. It can be used in a monitoring way, blood sugars, heart rates, oxygen levels. There's multiple things that can be remotely monitored, but on the self the self-help area you have to have, in my view, you have to have AI with that monitoring because it's it's, it's like the famous you know banana story. The guy goes to the doctor and says, you know, what's wrong with you? He says, well, you know, eat more bananas. Then he ate too many bananas and gave himself potassium poison because he thought that was the answer. So we have to be balanced about you know giving people access to uh, uh, because we trust in the, the healthcare professional because this this is a pivotal thing. When you go to meet a healthcare professional, even if it's your friend that you're having dinner with, and they turn around and say, no, 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 you should take B12. You go out and you buy B12, you know, or, or you know, that you go to the doctor and say, well, yeah, you really should be thinking about getting that extra. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get a step on that. I'm going to so we take the advice from professionals easily. So how do we release that advice from professionals without allowing people to disappear down, you know, kind of down tunnels and that i think is where ai has to come in mm-hmm. because you can have you know all this monitoring you can have a watch on and you know you, you can have a sensor on your bed that actually you know whilst you're asleep will not only record your sleep levels but the depth of your sleep it, it can monitor your um uh your pulse and heart rates at night but what you don't want is somebody going up getting up in the morning going oh my oh oh it's different today oh that's bad Oh, that no, no, no. We 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 need. That's where the AI comes in. That says, "Morning, Nicole. You you slept differently last night because yesterday you know you did more exercise. So that mm-hmm. actually translated through to this. So you know what, Nicole? Today, count it as a rest day. Lots of liquids. You don't need to do any exercise today. So then we then get into a point of you know, is the AI diagnosing or summarizing? Yeah, so 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 yes, all these things can do self-help. But I think we have to the same way that a healthcare professional synthesizes the results or processes the results into two sentences that us, you know, humans can understand and go, yes, I'll 
I'll keep taking the tablets or I'll stop taking the tablets. You know, we can't, self-help is really important, but what we can't do is allow you know, people to become uh, uh, self-hypochondriacs. I mean, that's maybe a slightly extreme term, but you know, if you don't understand, you know, we do have a, if you're a pessimist, you know, it would be really dangerous to give somebody self-help tools because they'd just be wondering how many days closer to death they are each morning. If you're an optimist, you would be enhancing your lifestyle and going, yeah, I'm going to, oh, I'll get some pine nuts for that or whatever the thing is that they need. So for me, putting the AI in there, and remember, AI is not sentient and it doesn't think things. It only actually regurgitates what us humans teach it. We teach it the wrong thing, it regurgitates the wrong thing. Very simple. Your AI, you know, this, this whole, um, how people, you know, we're fed by science fiction, so we have a perception of what AI is. But the reality of AI and the AI that we see in the sci-fi films, two completely different things, completely different. So I would like to see personal, personal helpers. You know, I'm, I, I'm having one built for my phone at the moment, actually, where it will be my personal AI. Um, I, I, I choose their name. I choose their accent. Um, and what they do is they have a secure bubble, if you like, on my device. So when I ask them questions, it might use chat GTP, it might use BARD, it might use whatever, but it keeps my information within an AI bubble on my phone. So then when my question is answered, it destroys that information and throws it away. So my my personal information is then not fed out into the wider AIs. So to summarize this for, for, for your listeners that are thinking, where has he gone now with this? <laughs> this? The, the personalization of AI, not generalized, personalized AI in line or in connected with what I would term as IoT devices, so outboard physical monitoring devices that you sit on, lean on, strap to yourself, et cetera. Bringing those two together I think could be huge for preventative healthcare, you know, because, and again, it's that it's the low level. It goes back to the burger analogy in the hospital. We're, we're, we're not expecting a robot to fix somebody's broken arm, but we are expecting it to get a burger. Mm-hmm. You know? And so we're not expecting it to be a doctor in your house, but we are actually expecting it. And if we fold in some of that happiness and joy, you know, and actually, I don't know, an older person may, actually want to give it the name of a friend that's not around anymore they could even actually have a voice of, not, of a friend that's not around anymore some people are going to think that's creepy but you, you yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of saying, my message is it has to be an audience of one if we're going to do that enhanced preventative because we can't generalize because healthcare professionals will i would say probably 90 times 99 times out of 100 will personalize what they're going to say in relationship to the person that's sitting in front of them. Even if it's the same sentence that's being said, it will be said 16 different ways, whether the person is young, old, with a partner, scared. And going back to that, we can't replace the humans. You know, we have to kind of, so I think there's there's a blend between the physical, you know, uh, simple monitoring stuff, you know, the, the which I think, you know, it, it, if you had, so that, that vibrating band, very simple thing, you know, if everybody over 85 had that, and it does, it's not monitored by a human, it's monitored by a piece of AI, and it's just, okay, I haven't had a response, I'm going to send a thing, right, I've sent, I've sent two messages and there's no response, you know, and then instead of some panicked relative going, oh, I, 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 I think Mavis has fallen over and I'm not sure, I can't get hold of her, you then actually get Mavis, who lives at this address, these are her medical records, has been unresponsive now for 45 minutes. 
you know, she got up at this time. She slept unusually less last night. You know, we, we monitored and she didn't take her morning tablets this morning because the box that she takes them out of didn't say. So that healthcare professional arriving isn't just arriving to a blind situation. So that's the other thing we can do with AI and you know, remote diagnostics. We can actually decentralize where the information sits and that decentralization then enables the healthcare professional that's kind of coming in. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. That's all right. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I think if I can actually you know, leave anybody with a thought, you know, be nice to the next robot you meet because they're probably wanting to be nice to you. And so that concludes another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find out more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous installments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, or X nowadays, at at PharmaForum. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.